And good afternoon, Pittsburgh Steelers fans. Welcome to another episode of Steelers Brunch with Tony. I am your host, Tony Defio, as always, and thank you for joining me on this fine and lovely Saturday fall afternoon. Is that the proper grammar? It doesn't matter. Before I get started, I'd just like to encourage you, as always, to subscribe to the Behind Still Curtain YouTube channel, where we bring you podcasts each and every day. There's this show, there's there's Steelers Preview, there's Know Your Enemy, the Scro, uh, Scobro Show, and what's, what's the live mic, Let's Ride, well actually, actually the live mic, and I always get that wrong every week, the live mic and Let's Ride are audio only, and you can find those podcasts and all of our podcasts on, on any audio platform where you choose to listen to listen to those podcasts so also i'd like you to uh welcome you to check out our behind the store curtain website where we bring you news commentary film breakdown it's the one-stop shop for all your Steelers needs that we like to say so please check that out and as always i want to talk about a few different topics in today's show starting with Pittsburgh's 38 to 29 victory over the Eagles last Sunday at Heinz Field. And of course, welcome to everybody in the live chat. There's my man T Money, Terry, my good friend Terry. He's a uh, longtime Pittsburgh sports fan. He loves the Panthers, loves the Steelers, loves the Pirates. He's a Penguins fan. He loves them all. He, he's an usher. Eh? I think he's an usher at uh, PNC Park. At least not, or not this year, but he has. He likes to, He likes to do those kind of things whenever we don't have a pandemic going on. So uh, he's he's a great fan. So welcome to Terry. There's Jared Devil, Ryan O'Toole, my main man Ryan. So thank you all for joining me. And I have a uh, a new setup. I have a uh, new headphones and a, and a and a new microphone. So if you if you're having trouble hearing me, let me know in the live chat. Welcome to Steelers Pittsburgh, and everybody else in the live chat. So I want to touch on last Sunday's victory over the Eagles. It was in many ways, the most exciting win the Steelers have had so far this year. Uh, it, 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 obviously the big story from that game was uh, chase Claypool, the rookie receiver who, who caught three touchdown passes and, and ran in another one becoming the first rookie in team history to score four touchdown four four touchdowns in a game. Uh, um, obviously. That, and that's why to me, that's why sports are, are, the greatest reality TV show because you just never know what's going to happen. I mean, when you sat down that day, who would have thought that you would be seeing history in the form of uh, Chase Claypool in his extraordinary game? All in all, he had seven catches for 110 yards and, of course, the three touchdowns and, and the one uh, running, rushing touchdown. So it was a great game overall for 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 him. It was his, the best game of his career, of course. He, he turned out to be the focal point of the passing game, uh, probably thanks in large part to Deontay Johnson going out early with a, a back injury and the fact that they were uh, focusing on, on the likes of Juju and, and the tight ends, uh, Eric, Ebr uh, yeah, Eric Ebron and, and Vance McDonald. And I'll, and I'll touch more on that later, but it was a great game by, by Claypool when it was a, uh, another exciting win for the Steelers. And, and, you know, it didn't come out, come without its, uh, it's uh, scary moments. It's, it's tense moments. Uh, Pittsburgh got out to a 31-14 lead early in the second quarter, and it looked like they were going to be riding on Easy Street. But then, uh, of course, the the Eagles scored 15 unanswered points to get right back in the game. I think the key moment in that game, honestly, it came right at the end. 
and it wasn't Chase Claypool's touchdown that that put the icing on the cake. The uh, the fourth touchdown late in, late in the game when uh, when Claypool and Ben teamed up, there was that great mismatch with the uh, Eagles linebacker, which may never happen again in Chase Claypool's career. Again, I'll touch more on that later, but uh, it wasn't that part. It was the uh, what came before that after Eric Ebron fumbled. I think he fumbled about six minutes left in the game, somewhere in there, and and uh, it was around midfield. And the Steelers' defense hadn't really shown the ability to stop the Eagles' offense really in the second half up to that point. Uh, they had a, a pick early in, in the in the in the third quarter, and and that was pretty much it for start, stopping the offense in the second half. So it really felt like the Steelers were up 31-29 at that point. It really felt like the the Eagles were gonna we're going to uh, take the lead either with a field goal or a touchdown. I was actually anticipating a, that they would score a touchdown because that's how, how uh, poorly the defense had played in the second half up to that point. But to the, to their credit, they, they stopped them there. They, 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 uh, I think the key play on that, on that drive, it was a third and five around the 40, the Steelers 40 yard line or the 39, something like that. And, and Joe Hayden, who had been victimized a bit Leading up to that point, he had a couple of uh, questionable pass interference penalties during the game, but uh, he made a great a great play, a perfect play on third and five to uh, to force a force the fifty seven yard field goal that that the Eagles uh, kicker missed, and of course then the Steelers went went um, went down and, and put the game away with the with the uh, the Claypool touchdown, his fourth of the game. So I think that was the key moment is is holding them there. I showed a lot of character by the defense and. Uh, and uh, uh, that's what that's what you need in, in today's NFL. You need you need a, a defense isn't going to, to shut a team down for four quarters. It's just not possible anymore. In most cases, it might happen occasionally, but in most cases, it's about being uh, it's about situational defense and it's, it's about being opportunistic and it's about rising to the occasion when you, when you have to. The the days of being able to hold a a team to to ten twelve points every week those are. Are, are in the past and certainly in 2020 and uh that's the th that's the um i think that was again that was the, the most important part of that game and and i think i was really you know impressed with with the offense because they, they rushed for 138 yards ben threw for what 230 something like that and of course the uh he had the, the three touchdowns so it was a, it was a, I think it was an overall balanced attack. And, and to me, when, when I say balanced, I, I don't mean where you, you have to, as I said before, you have to rush 20 times and throw 20 times and, and you have 200 yards passing and 200 yards rushing. I think it's just a, a matter of being effective in both phases. And I think they were last week. So it, it was, a, it was a, it was a great offensive performance. It, it's, it's pretty much what you've seen all year from, from the offense, the ability to, 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 to move the ball and, and, and score points and, and they were three for three inside the red zone, which is always important because getting from 20 to 20 has never been much of a problem for the Steelers in the modern era. It's, it's what they do once they get inside the 20, once they get inside the red zone. And of course they couldn't have been more efficient in that category on, uh, against the Eagles. So uh, here's a comment. I wanted to, uh, here's a comment from Greg Wake, Wakefield. Uh, uh, that's a new name. Welcome Greg. I, here I go again with the, uh, with the, uh, I'm always a step behind with the highlighting the uh, comments. Here we go. Best overall team I've seen in many years, but man, do they like to cut it close? Well, yeah, that's uh, 
I've talked about that before. You, you never really, you never really uh, have an, an easy moment with with uh, these Steelers teams. But I, I think that's more reflective of, of of the NFL as a whole. I mean, I think somebody said said some uh, one of the uh, talking heads said something recently, which I agree with. It's almost like the NFL is set up to where you know if you're if you're a ten win team, it's kind of pulling you down to 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 those eight wins, and if you're a six win team. You know the NFL is uh, designed to try to like elevate you up to eight wins. You know it's, it's like like the the league's designed for almost for everybody to go eight and eight. You know that's kind of that's kind of where, where where it's at. And 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 like Sam White once said, you can uh when you watch uh, tape of all thirty two teams before the before the start of the year any year, you can pretty much pick out the three or four teams that are going to win twelve or thirteen games, and the three or four teams that are going to lose twelve or thirteen games, and the rest of the teams, the other 24 to 25, two dozen teams. They're literally a few plays away over the course of the, of the whole year from finishing anywhere between six and 10 and 10 and six. And I think uh, with the Steelers over the last few years, you've certainly seen that. I mean, a, a couple plays go here and there or, or the other way uh, for them in, in, in the positive direction in both 2018 and 2019. And they were probably a playoff team. So, and in 2016 and 2017, uh, or even 2015, a couple of plays go in a negative direction. They probably don't make the playoffs, you know? So I, I think that's just reflective of the NFL as a whole, but you are right, Greg. It, it is a, it's never a, a, an easy time when watching the Steelers, at least not most of the time. They, they, they had the occasional blowout, but certainly not this year uh, yet. Uh, fingers crossed for Sunday. Maybe that'll happen. Um, I doubt it, but, but you never know. So where was I? The, the, uh, uh, anyway, as far as to finish up my thoughts on the Steelers and Eagles from last week, I, I, I think it's, 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 it was a lot more of what you've come to expect from them so far this year. It's, it, it was a really um, productive offense and, and the defense made plays when it had to, you know, and uh, that brings up my next point. And that is once again, talking about the Steelers defense and what is wrong with the Steelers defense. That's that's been on everybody's mind for the first four, three to first four weeks because they've let's see they've they have they've only uh, held one team to under twenty points so far, right? I think they've only held one team to less than uh, three touchdowns in a game. So you know there, there's uh, there's concern there, and and you know last week you saw uh, third down conversions they were ten of fourteen for the game. Uh, at one point the the Eagles I think they had. They, they converted on 10 of their first 12 and then Pittsburgh kind of tightened things up at the end and, and uh, finished strong. But, but yeah, it seemed like the Eagles just could do no wrong on third down. Uh, there was one a couple plays. Uh, there was one in particular third and 17 near the end of the, near the end of the first half where they converted and, and uh, the Eagles almost, if, if it wasn't for uh, some maybe unnecessary timeouts earlier in the, in the half and maybe some poor, clock management, they might've been able to sneak out of the first half with that, with a, an extra three points. And that might've made a difference at the end of the game, but yeah, it, it was, it was concerning. But what I didn't know until Sunday was that no Steeler offensive lineman had been called for holding this year. I, I mentioned after the first week, the, the, um, the low amount of penalties that, that, that were called in, in the first week. And, and that's continued through over the course of the first four or five weeks of the season, particularly offensive holding calls. 
And, when, and what I also didn't know until I read Shannon White's article, he's one of uh, one of our great writers on Behind the Store Curtain, one of our great contributors, was that is that through four weeks, no no uh, Steelers opponent has been called for offensive holding, meaning no no offensive lineman has been called for holding against the Steelers. And when you have a team that that makes its hay, a defense that makes its hay primarily with getting after the passer, with a relentless pass rush. And, you know, the Steelers have, have done a great job, obviously, through, through all that adversity. They have 20 sacks, which obviously is, is on pace for 80, and 50 quarterback hits, which is on pace for 200. So, obviously, they, they're still doing a good job of, of getting after the passer. But, you know, you see T.J. Watt getting held. You see him getting the James Harrison treatment, you know, the getting grabbed around the neck and, and sort of driven to the ground. And, obviously, you see the same thing with Bud Dupree, and I'm sure the linemen – you don't really get to focus on as much. They're having that same treatment. And that has to be frustrating to, uh, to know you're, you're beating your opponent continuously. And yet they're, they're, they're allowed to kind of cheat, you know, because the NFL, the NFL just uh, has made it an emphasis to, to reduce holding calls on, you know, offensive holding calls, I guess, to increase scoring. I, I don't know. And in conjunction with that, the the pass interference calls, defensive pass interference calls are, are increasing. I mean, we saw that on both sides last week. Joe Hayden was called for a couple, and I think the Steelers benefited from a couple of of questionable uh, defensive pass interference calls against Philadelphia. So, you know, when you have that combination of you're de-emphasizing de holding calls and you're re-emphasizing defensive pass interference, although I don't, I don't think the NFL has ever not emphasized defensive pass interference. I think they, you know, what, what are you going to do, right? So if you look at the Steelers' defense in a vacuum, then you say, oh, man, this defense is is awful. And it's it's nothing compared to what it was in 2019. And, and it's a fraud. And, and you know, it's 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 not what, what they're, they're not getting the job done. But when you look at them relative to the other 31 defenses, there's, they stack up really well. I think they're third now in, in – in, in um, overall defense, as far as points per game, it's a shade under 22, which seems like a lot, but it's still, I think they're sixth now or seventh. Last time I checked, I, I, you know, with all these makeup games, all these Tuesday games, it's hard to, to keep track of the stats day by day, but I think they're sixth now, you know, and they're, they're third or fourth against the run. And they're in the middle of the pack with, with um, against the pass in passing yards, which, you know, if you, if you, the NFL, as I've talked about before, when you take one thing away, you're, you're probably going to, going to be a bit deficient in another area. So I'm not really that worried about that because like, like I've said before, they, they're still getting after the quarterback. They, they lead the league in sacks with 20 and, and, and I mentioned the pressures, the hits, and they're still on pace for close to 30 takeaways. It's not 38 like it was last year, at least not, they're not on that pace yet. But they're they're still averaging nearly two takeaways a game, and we saw how how vital they were last week. That 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 Stephen Nelson pick at, in the beginning of the first half. That you know the, the Steelers took the ball. They were up twenty four fourteen, or I'm sorry, they were up seventeen fourteen at the start of the second half. Took the open, uh, second half kickoff, scored a touchdown. Stephen Nelson ha has a pick, his first pick of the game, and they convert that into a another touchdown. So. You know, it's, it's it's just a matter of, of of being opportunistic and getting after the quarterback. And as long as the Steelers continue to do both of those things, 
then I think they'll be okay as far as defense. Cause you're just not gonna, you're not going to um, sh shut down. As I said, to repeat myself for like the seventh time, you're not going to shut down offenses week in and week out anymore. It's just not possible, <laughs> you know? And, and, and if you want to compare the Steelers, a defense to the Browns, uh, Sunday's opponent, the Browns are giving up nearly 30 points a game. So they're giving up nearly a touchdown or they are over a touchdown more a game than Pittsburgh's defenses through five, through five, uh, their first five games. And as far as uh, they're, they're pretty good against the run. I think they're, I want to say fourth, but they're 30th against the pass, you know? So, you know, but, but they're, their key is like the Steelers they're they're They get after the pass. They're not quite the same rate as Pittsburgh does. They have 12 sacks, half of them by miles Garrett and just 21 hits quarterback hits, which obviously pales in comparison to what Pittsburgh has been doing. So, but they still, but they're opportunistic. They have 12 takeaways through five weeks, whereas Pittsburgh has seven. So, you know, they're, they're doing, they're not quite as, as relentless, with getting after the passer, they, 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 they really, they're really a, a one man show when it comes to that. And that's, that's Garrett, but they, they take the football away. And, and that's part of the reason why that, that they've been successful on, on through five weeks. So to, to wrap that topic up, I, I really wouldn't worry about Pittsburgh's defense. I think if somebody gets hurt, a major name gets hurt, knock on wood, then maybe it's time to worry. But, Here's a, uh, I'm going to try to get this right. I'm going I'm to try to be on, on point with this, uh, with my comment finger. Here's one from Asiac Noble. Thank you for the comment. Baltimore passing offense is like 27th in the league. Well, there you go. So, and that, and that kind of, uh, well, something I'll touch on later with, with the Browns and how the Steelers can sort of uh, diffuse their, their pretty potent offense. So that's the, uh, the second topic I wanted to touch on. And, of course, the third topic is Chase Claypool and what a glorious draft pick he's been so far, right? I mean, there were questions when the Steelers picked him in the second round out of Notre Dame, and and uh, and that and that was understandable. I mean, I knew that was going to happen because there were so many names that were going to be available when the Steelers picked the twenty seventh in the or in the second round because that was their first pick, and we talked about so many, you know. Leading up to the to the draft, the, the four or five months that lead into the draft, there's just so much coverage about that event, and so many prop prospects get profiled and, and talked about, and there's so many so many fans have preferences and, and draft crushes. So I knew it wasn't going to be a universally loved pick. I mean, all the only you know T.J. Watt wasn't a a universally beloved draft pick, and look at him. So, but I mean, he's been he's been more than advertised through his first four games. And, you know, we saw what he did last week and, and it's just been, it's a small sample size. I, I'm not, you know, I'm going to sort of reel it back in, in my next topic. Well, sort of, like, sort of I'll pump the brakes a bit on Chase Claypool, but you know, it's, it's been, it's been a, uh, just a, a, a such a pleasurable experience watching him so far. Cause he's, I mean, he's fast he's he's physical and he's he loves to play football you can see it i mean he loves to block and that's what he was known for in college he, he he's often the first one down on on kick coverage you know so he's a football player right in the mold of a heinz ward and but just a much better 
physical specimen than a Heinz Ward and even a Juju Smith-Schuster, who's a who's a, a great football player in his own right. So it's just been a a a, a great experience watching him so far, and 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 there's I think there's a lot of great things in store uh, for him moving forward. And uh, a funny little story about about uh, Claypool, a personal story is, you know, I, I pretty much suck at fantasy football. I just don't pay enough, as much attention as I should. You know, there are people that just do nothing but pay attention to fantasy football. And, and I don't pay nearly as much attention as they do. And, and, you know, with all the, the, the postponements with, with, with through COVID and so many players getting hurt and Michael Thomas punching somebody and him having, him being deactivated for last week's game, he punched one of his teammates in practice, I guess, last week. So he was deactivated. Julio Jones, who's another one of my receivers, he's hurt. You know, so like 10 o'clock last week, I noticed all this, like all these, these O's, you know, meaning out for the game on my roster. So I said, what am I going to do? So I just, on a hunch, I picked up Chase Claypool and, uh, and started him. And I thought, all right, he might do okay for me. And boy, did he ever, I mean, he was, I think, I think I got like 40 points from him. But with my luck, it wasn't good enough because uh, I didn't I didn't catch the Michael. I think it was Michael Thomas was on the same team. I have two different teams. Anyway, I didn't catch the Michael Thomas uh, deactivation in time. So or no, it was Julio Jones. That's right. Julio Jones was the one I didn't catch in time. So he he was in my starting lineup. So because of that, I lost by two points. But still, it was it was a pretty cool story. I would have lost by, I guess, forty two points if it wasn't for that. So. Uh, Chase Claypool, uh, just been a, a just a, a, a marvelous uh, first month for him, and, and I'm sure he's on, on top of the world right now. So that's uh, that's that topic. And that brings me to my next topic, and that's the rush to make Chase Claypool the number one receiver. Uh, we, we like all day on Monday and Tuesday, you know, listening to talk radio. That's all I do when I, I drive all day long. So I, I listen to talk radio and it's like, people were just uh, rushing to make that declaration is chase Claypool the number one receiver. And a lot of people think he is now. A lot of people think he is the number one guy on, on the roster. And I, I don't disagree with the, the potential. I mean, he certainly, I just explained him on my, I talk about my previous, uh, Previously talking about Chase Claypool, I, I explained why he he has that skill set. He's fast, he's big, he's strong, he's physical. So the potential is there. But is it is it enough of a sample size, four games, to, to, to declare him the number one receiver? I know a lot of people on behind the cell curtain already think he's their best receiver. And again, he very well might be. But I think we have to acknowledge that he's benefiting from – being a, a mismatch right now, because for one thing, the, these coaches through four weeks, they, they knew nothing about him, just what he did in college. They knew, they knew nothing about him at the pro level. Right. And, and there's, and, and, you know, if you look at recent history with guys like Martavis Bryant, uh, Juju Smith-Schuster, even, even Sammy Coates, I mean, they benefited early in their careers from, from being like the third option or, 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 or not really the third option, but but like just being a total unknown for for opposing teams, opposing defensive coordinators. So they kind of just burst onto the scene. I mean, you saw what 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 Bryant did. He was activated midway through his rookie year. 
And it was like, wow, you know, where's this guy been our whole lives, right? I mean, he was just an extraordinary player. I was in Cincinnati when he caught that 95-yard touchdown game. I was in or uh, touchdown pass. I was in that end zone. You see that if you ever look at that play and see him running into the end zone, I was there, you know, jumping up and down with with my buddies and my uncle watching that game. So that was a a great debut to his career. And uh, in 2016, Sammy Coates, it was his second year. He didn't really do anything his rookie year. I think he played he played a bunch in the playoffs because of injuries to AB and uh, some other people. But it was really 2016 where he burst onto the scene. And the first four or five games, he was a deep threat, and he was uh, he was like he looked like Mike Wallace. And then of course he he got hurt, and that was pretty much it for him. He, he broke his fingers, and I think he had a hamstring problem too. And that was that was the end end for him. And even Juju a few years ago when he burst onto the scene, he, it was uh, it was Antonio Brown and Marvis or Marvis Martavis Bryant as the one and two options for Ben, and Juju was the unknown uh, rookie. I think Eli Rogers was uh, was more of a, uh, a, a a he was a, a more of a target for Ben at that point than than Juju was. And but you saw how effective he was as like a slot receiver as the the third or fourth option. He got like how many um, red zone touchdowns did he have over the first five or six weeks? I think he set a, a team record for rookies. So uh, I think that's that's part of what's going on here with Chase Claypool. Yes, he's a very talented guy. It might be, for all we know, might be the next Randy Moss. We don't know. But I think teams have to prepare for Juju Smith-Schuster. And, and you hear, you know, you see that, He's getting double teamed. At least he has been so far. And he was last year as the number one option. Right. Uh, and, and they have to pre prepare for Deontay Johnson. You know, they were, you know, he's expected to, to be a major star in the not so distant future. Um, they have to prepare for Eric Ebron, Vance McDonald, you know, so far Chase Claypool hasn't been on anybody's uh, radar. Well, I mean, that's all going to change. You would think moving forward and the difference between, uh, Juju and, and, and Martavis Bryant and, and Sammy Coates and those guys is, is only Juju was given the opportunity to transition from the, the unknown rookie to the second or third receiver to the number one guy. He's the only one who's been able to make that transition. And so far it's been a, a mixed bag, you know, but I, I think it's, it's fair to acknowledge that his first try at that, at the, at the number one uh, role last year, he had to do that with, without Ben Roethlisberger and with, you know, Doug Hodges and Mason Rudolph leading, you know, as his uh, throwing him passes. And of course this year he's, he's, uh, he's gotten up to it. Not a, I wouldn't say a slow start, but, but he's just, you know, another one of Ben's targets. He hasn't been the, the main guy. I mean, he was the leading receiver heading into week four and, and in the leader in yardage, but he wasn't the really the standout number one guy. So I think, the great thing, and I've talked about this before, the great thing about this offense is you can have a, 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 a star, a different star each and every week. You know, last week it was Chase Claypool. Tomorrow or Sunday against the Browns, it might be James Washington. You know, look, look what he did last year in that second game against Cleveland. It, that was the best game of his career. He made three fantastic catches in that game. So um, I, I think, you know, for whatever reason, you know, when it comes to receivers, uh, Steeler fans seem to sour on on them pretty quickly. 
And and so far, Juju hasn't given anybody any reason to sour on, on him in terms of his personality. It's just that he hasn't been able to make that full transition from, from the unknown to the number two option to the to the number one guy. He hasn't been able to st- stand out like a like an Antonio Brown did, which you know, let's be let's be real. As much as you hate the guy, Antonio Brown was the modern day Jerry Rice. So to compare anybody to him is probably a little bit unfair. So um the the jury's still out on whether or not Juju could be the number one guy, but I don't think the jury's out on whether or not other uh, opposing defenses are, are 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 focusing on him because he has a much uh, longer track record than does Chase Claypool. So I think you'll, you'll, it'll be interesting to see if, if, if once teams start focusing on Claypool and they better, they, they, they can't leave him on linebackers anymore, or they should be fired on the spot. Any coordinator that, that although I shouldn't say that because it seems to happen with Keith Butler all, all the time, <laughs> but uh, um, you sh- after last week with that fourth touchdown where they, they had him, the Eagles had, a linebacker lined up on, on Claypool. I, you know, I, I don't think he's going to get that kind of treatment moving forward. He's going to be more of a focal point and teams are going to uh, start preparing for him. And I think that might open things up for, as I said, a James Washington or, or Eric Ebron. It might be his day or, or Juju. So, or Deontay Johnson, he's going to be out for Sunday's game, but you know, um, so I, I think again, to sum that up, I think Claypool has the tools to be the number one guy, but to, to make that declaration right away, I think it's a little bit too soon for that. So finally, I want to talk about the Steelers and the Browns. And, and before I get into that, you know, it, of course it's the first game between the two teams with, with miles My- Garrett in the lineup since that incident last year with the, where he, where he, he uh, swung, uh, he, he smacked Mason Rudolph in the head with his own helmet and that fracas at the end of the game. And it's such a, it's such, it's one of the strangest topics I've ever seen, because when you look at the, when you look at that, everything that went down there, it's, it's pretty obvious that who committed the egregious act. Right. But, you know, with, with it being the modern era and social media being so prevalent and everybody having an opinion, uh, we see what can happen when, when, you know, it's not, it's not about being who's right or who's wrong. It's about who's able to, to rally enough people on their side. And I think Miles Garrett was able to do that because he, he, cr- he created doubt in people's minds as to why he hit Rudolph in the head. It wasn't just because he lost his cool on the football field and they were fighting. It was because uh, either Rudolph kept instigating and because he started the fight or if it's because he, he used a racial slur and, and that created an, enough doubt in everybody's mind to now you have like half the, half the, uh, football viewing uh, po- population is on Garrett's side and the other half's on Rudolph's side. You, you know, you would think that the vast majority of America would, would look at and go, Oh yeah, that was definitely Garrett's Garrett's fault. He was in the wrongdoing there. And, and it didn't really matter what led up to that. He, he deserved to be suspended, but it's not like that anymore. But uh, it's just, um, I think it's, 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 it's a life, it's, it's kind of a microcosm of, 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 society in general in general now you know it's not about about you know just like facts it's, it's about what side are you on and if you're on team garrett then you're gonna you're gonna be you're gonna believe him if, if you're on team mason then you're gonna believe him and that's and that's unfortunate but that brings me to the broader point of of sunday's game is i think for whatever reason the browns are using that as a rallying cry you, you saw kareem hunt talking to the media the other day saying that they're going to, this game's for 
for for Miles Garrett and the city of Cleveland and blah blah blah, right? You know, they're they're using for for whatever reason the Steelers should be the ones that are that are motivated to to def- to win that game and, and to make things right for Mason Rudolph and for and for their organization because once again they were dragged through the mud because of because of something another person did, you know, in 2019 in the offseason, it was Antonio Brown who was acting like a jerk. And for some reason, the Steelers were, came out looking like the bad guys. And last year, Miles Garrett swung the helmet at at uh, Mason Rudolph and hit him in the head and could have killed him. But for some reason, the Steelers were the bad guys, right? So they should be the ones who are angry. Uh, but instead, it's the Browns who are like, oh, we're going to do this for, for – we're going to show everybody. Well, and that's where I think the Steelers could have an edge because I don't think they're going to be quite as emotional – going into Sunday's game as the Browns are. I think for the Steelers, it's a big game. You know, they have, you know, they're four and but I think they've been here before and they've done this before, right? They're, they're used to being in big, ga- big games. Big Ben's obviously seen, seen everything there is to see on a football field. And you can say almost the same thing about guys like Cam Hayward and Stefan Tuitt, even Joe Hayden, uh, David DeCastro, Big Al, Pouncey, obviously. Uh, these guys have been around the block, right? They've been in big games as recently as last year. So, you know, they're not going to blink. I think, I think the Browns are, are putting a lot of emphasis on this game. It's a week – well, for them, it's a week six game. For the Steelers, it's the fifth game of the year. And I think they're putting a lot of emphasis on this game. And I think that could be a mistake because I, I think the Steelers are going to be more businesslike than people realize. I, I, I think a lot of people think this is going to be a bloodbath. And Garrett's – you know, it, it's going to be a, like a showdown between Garrett and Pouncey or Garrett and whoever – and, uh, you know, but I don't see that because one thing I don't think, I don't think Garrett, you know, he came off as, as a huge jerk with the, with the, the helmets, what he did with the helmet. I mean, that could have been catastrophic. And of course the sm- smearing Mason Rudolph's name afterwards and f- refusing to, even though there's no evidence whatsoever to support his claim that, that Rudolph said what he said, um, he still won't back down from that, from that statement. So I, I think even though he's acting like a jerk, I think he's, basically a good guy. He's not Vontez perfect. So I don't, I don't see him, you know, uh, getting that, like doing anything egregious on the, on that football field tomorrow at Heinz field. I don't, I don't see that. So, um, I I think the Steelers are going to remain businesslike and I think the Browns are going to maybe put, they're not going to want like, like want revenge. I think they're, they're just looking to make a name for themselves as far as, 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 putting themselves on the map as a winning football organization. And so I think they're going to be emotional in that way. So I think that's where the Steelers could take, take advantage. And, and, and if you look at, if you're talking about strategy and what the Steelers can could do to win this game, I just think it's just as simple as doing what they have done through the first month. And that's take the run, take the uh, running game away. The Browns lead the NFL in rushing with 188 yards a game. So I think if you can, if they can shut that down, or maybe not shut it down, but but make it less effective, like maybe hold Cleveland under 100, 100 yards and put the game in Baker uh, Mayfield's hands. And I think I think that'll be the difference in the game, because I think you know if you shut down the Steelers' running game, that's not gonna that's not gonna kill the offense. Ben doesn't care about that. Most quarterbacks his of his stature and his experience, they they don't care about you shutting the running game down. They can still beat you, and he, he certainly has enough weapons to, to do that. So I, I think if they, 
if they shut the Steelers running game down, I still think Pittsburgh can score. But if they, if they, if the Steelers shut the Browns running game down, then, then I think the Browns are going to have a hard time. And I think, I think Baker Mayfield's going to, going to make some uh, pretty major mistakes because they've so far, they've only had six takeaways or turnovers through five games. But I think if that's because they've, they've had to lead in a lot of their games. And I think if they, um, if they can, if, if they can, uh, Put the put the the game on on Mayfield's right arm. I think that's where the Steelers are going to come out ahead. So, I'm looking I'm looking for it to be a close game, but I'm looking for the Steelers to pull it out in the fourth quarter. I'm thinking I'm thinking that's how it's going. I know I've talked about a blowout in my online predictions, but the more I think about this game, the more I think it's going to be a close game, and I think the Steelers are going to are going to prevail at the end. So that's all I had to. Those are all my. Uh, topic for today and once again i will open it up to some questions so let's see what we have from you guys here's one from dave shipley a great comment he makes a good point we haven't had a first drive td in two years that's that's true but last year that was more because of the quarterback play i think this year it's still it's still early to worry about that and 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 they're averaging close to 30 points a game so i don't think that's a huge deal just yet Here's one from Lumberzak, a question. Tony, do you think we're making any trades before the deadline? If so, who? I don't really see a any, any um, trades that they could make. I mean, if they were to make a trade, I would say it would be for maybe an offensive lineman since they've had so many problems staying healthy in that regard. Um, I don't know. I can't really think of, of – of, any major area where they would need need to make a trade. There were rumors that they were t- talking about trading Justin Lane to the Redskins, or not the Redskins, geez, the Washington football team for Dwayne Has- Haskins. I mean, that's, that wouldn't benefit them this year. That's just maybe a another flyer on a, a possible heir apparent to Ben. But, but other than that, I, I really can't. I can't think of uh, of 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 any trades that that I would want to see them make because I think they're they're a pretty well rounded football team. Maybe, again, maybe the offensive line, just for depth. That's that's the only, only possible trade I could see them making at this point. And here's some, uh, you know, this, the Browns have had some uh, some injury problems and some illness problems. And Odell Beckham, he had, he um, had to kind of go in uh, temporary quarantine because he was he was ill and he, and he but he tested negative for COVID nineteen. But, but he's expected to play. Jarvis Landry had some injury problems heading into the week. And in Baker Mayfield, I think he had a rib, rib injury. And they were all listed as questionable. I think they're all going to play. So I don't think that's – I think the Steelers are going to get get um, all of the Browns have have to offer. But I think, I think they're going to prevail at the end. Let's see what else we have here. Any questions I may have missed? Uh, if I can scroll up a little bit. Let's see. Here's one from Ezra, my man Ezra. Who should back up Connor, McFarlane or Snail? Well, I know I know who you think should back him up, and that's uh, McFarlane. But I don't think it really matters. I think the way they've been using both, they've been using both uh, – or, you know, equally in terms of production anyway, in terms of, uh, of reps. So I think it's, it's, you can use either or at this point. I think, 
I think uh, Snell has more of a defined role than he did early on. I think he's more of the, the short yardage uh, specialist. And uh, I think uh, McFarland's the change of pace guy. So I, I don't think it, I, you know, when it comes to when, when you're, when you, when you were doing sort of a running back by committee and they're, and they're doing not, not quite a running back by committee, but more, more so than they have in the past that I don't think it matter, matters who the backup is. It's just a matter of, uh, of, of what, which role each, each back has. And as you see now, uh, Jalen Samuels is barely even in the mix. Here's the guy that I, that I touted in the off season kind of defended but he really hasn't been involved in, in, in the offense so far. So you can see what, 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 where they're going with the, with their running back. It's, it's, it's James Connors is, the, is getting the majority of the carries and, and uh, Snell and McFarlane are, are splitting carries with, with Snell again, being the, the short yardage guy and, and McFarlane sort of being the change of pace. So I don't think it really matters. Here's another one from Ezra. If you're Tomlin, do you pull a, a hardball and put Mason in for one play? I would. Uh, not really. I wouldn't. I don't think. I don't think Tomlin would do that. Uh, I, I maybe if the game's if the game's uh, out of reach, I'd like to see maybe in a good way out of reach. Maybe Mason get in there and 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 not just hand the ball off, but sort of maybe do some damage with his arm. But I, I thought that will happen too, or either. Here's one from Jerry Cherry Band. If you don't know Jerry Cherry Band, he's responsible for a lot of the the audio uh, music for for Let's Ride and and and, and uh, I, I don't know. I think there's a couple others. I think for, I think the Retro Show. He he he. he I think I think Michael Be uh, Beck. I heard Jeff Hartman say that on, on, when I listened to one of his recent podcasts that that Michael has a different set of music for his show. But but yeah, J Jerry Cherry Band. Check that out. They're they're really really good stuff. Here's one from Ryan Otola comments, hoping for six sacks, three from TJ. Well, TJ Watt has had a uh, successful career against the Browns. I mean, he's made he's made he's made his uh, half of his, his. I think he's gotten half of his sacks from the Browns alone. So, I wouldn't be surprised. All right, let's see. Here's one from Getting Bent with Bo. I haven't seen you in a while. He's one of our regular viewers. And listeners, we are getting that dub tomorrow for my birthday. Sunday's uh, happy birthday, Bo. Today's my sister's birthday. So I hope you have a great birthday. I hope you're right. Being born in May, I never get to experience a uh, a uh, Steelers uh, game on my birthday. But fingers crossed this year with the pandemic. You never know the way things are going. <laughs> we might have a we might have a week 39 the way things are going with all the uh, the postponements. So you never know. Here's another comment from Ezra. Take a, I'll take a few more before I sign off. This is a game where Bud eats all day because of the focus on TJ. Well, hey, I mean, uh, Bud, Bud DePriest had a, a pretty good year, but one thing he hasn't done yet is had a great st statistical game. It's one word I can never say. S statistical. But anyway, uh, so yeah, maybe maybe, maybe uh, Sunday's the game that, that Bud breaks out. So we'll see. It doesn't matter, though. I think they're going to be – if they can shut the, the, the running game down, the Browns running game, and put the again, as I mentioned earlier, put the game in Baker Mayfield's hands, then I think they're gonna have plenty of opportunities to uh to get their their quarterback sacks on Sunday. <sighs> Here's one from Sixburg and, and 
this, I, I will, I will uh, probably wrap things up with this. Well, once again, I, once again, I was a little bit too slow, but here's Asiac Noble. Minka gets a pick six. Well, there you go. That would be welcome because he really hasn't. He's been kind of uh, invisible so far this year. But I just want to just one more I wanted to get to it because I, I I really thought it was funny and it's from one of a not a, a normal viewer Sixberg six TJ must have handles he gets held every play well that's that's the thing and that's kind of brings it back home to what I mentioned in, earlier in the show with the defense you know when 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 your your main main strength as a team and your best player and you can make a lot of arguments that TJ Watts is still his best player now on offense or defense. When you're, when your number one strength is getting out after the quarterback and the, the league isn't calling offensive holding that, that, that uh, can be pretty frustrating. And, and that could explain a, a lot of what's going on with the defense. And, and I kind of noticed TJ Watt, maybe I was just imagining it because, you know, I was projecting, but it seemed like he was kind of frustrated at the end of that game. I know he, he left the game briefly with a, a, a wrist injury, and that might have been why he, he looked frustrated. But he definitely I, – I, I can see a player like that who, who knows he's getting home or he has the ability to get home just on, about on every passing play. I can see that a player like that getting, getting quite angry. I mean, you know, the, the stories are legendary about Mean Joe Green early in his career when he was basically unblockable and – what he would do to, to guys that, that held him, you know, the he would punch him in the gut, punch him in the groin. And obviously you can't really do that today without causing a, almost a national crisis. So yeah. Um, on that note, I want to thank you all. I, I think I went over a few minutes, but that's okay. I want to thank you all for a great show. And, and I kind of uh, hammered home most of the points I wanted to not quite as many in, in a way that I wanted to, but, but I think it was a fun show and, and you guys rock and, and I will talk to you next week. Enjoy the rest of your weekend and go Steelers.